Okay, so y'all, um, we are going back and forth, right? We're going back and forth between Judges and Galatians. So now we're, we're back in Galatians. Last week was Gideon. This week is Galatians. So this morning, right now, many of you who are sitting in your seats right now are experiencing psychological pressure. Um, you know what I'm talking about if that is you. Uh, you can't figure it out. You can't explain it. It's just there. Uh, you can't find it. In other words, you can't locate the source of the psychological pressure. You can't find where it's coming from. It's just there. And you can't fix it. You can't silence it. You can't remove it. You can't deal with it. You don't know how to get rid of it. It's just there. This psychological pressure, like a psychological prison, it's just there. And you want to know, you need to know why it's happening. Others of you this morning, many of you that are sitting there right now are experiencing a God crisis. Your view of God right now is crumbling. You, you came in, you've, you've had this, this view of God, these thoughts of God, right? And then the Bible has these other thoughts of God, and there's a discrepancy between your view of God and the Bible's view of God, and you're in this crisis. Who is God, really, you're wondering? You want to know you need to know. This morning, right now, many of you sitting there right now are experiencing a personal crisis. You're listening to the new blockbuster put out by Christianity Today, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. How many of you have listened to that so far, just so I know? Yes. And now the rest of you will listen to it for the next two weeks, or you'll binge listen over the next two days. And it's, this podcast is rocking your world. It's hitting you hard. It's creating a personal crisis of it, Christianity and experiencing Christianity for you. You've got Mark Driscoll. You've got the Mars Hill Church phenomenon. You've got the Acts 29 church planning movement and all of its associations with Together for the Gospel, the Gospel Coalition, Sovereign Grace Ministries, Joshua Harris, C.J. Mahaney, John Piper, Matt Chandler, the whole young and restless evangelical reform movement. That's your people. That's your tribe. And you don't know what is going on anymore. What just happened? How could it happen? How do you process what just happened? And many of you are wrestling, well, how do I process my experience of Christianity now? Because... These are my people, and this is my tribe. How do I know what's real about my experience of the Christian life and Christianity now? It's rocking your world. I know because I've talked with many of you. You want to know you need to know. This morning, right now, many of you are experiencing a church crisis. First, there's the pandemic, right? This is a multi-generational experience that we've just experienced. 
It's not experienced when I say multi-generate. It takes usually several generations to experience something like this. First, there's the pandemic with all its medical, with all its political, with all its cultural, with all its ideological, with all its economical, with all its global, with all its inter interrelational fallout, right? Second, there's the racial tension, another multi-generational experience that we happen to be experiencing along with a pandemic, with the rise of a new anti-racist doctrine and activism. Third, there's the shaking of major cultural fault lines. Another one, another multi-generational experience. And I said fault lines, not fault lines. So there's several cultural fault lines that are shaking and generating earthquakes right now. What are they? Well, let's just mention a few. Gender, sexuality, marriage, the family, the state, statism versus individual freedom, globalism, we are the world, or we are China, or we are France, or we are the United States. Globalism, and we can go on and on. So that's not the issue. This is always happens. It happens in every generation. Well, I shouldn't say that. Multi-generations, right? And we're experiencing all of these at the same time. But the issue for the church is not like, okay, the issue for the church is how do we respond to all of this? Are we responding healthily to all of this? Are we responding with a unified mission and a unified message to all of this? And the answer is no. No. The church across every tradition, every theological stripe, even the big tent of evangelicalism is dividing, it's splitting, it's breaking apart, it's falling to pieces right before our very eyes. Pastors and church leaders are stepping down, they're getting fired, or they're quitting. Church members, active church members are quitting their churches, leaving their church for another church that believes more like they believe, or quitting the church completely. The exit polls, the drop in church membership, the drop in church attendance is at an all-time low right now. You personally are losing friends, not because you want to, but because you finally find yourself on the outside. You are wondering, what's going on? How could this happen? You want to know. You need to know. Our text today says to you and me this morning, right now it says, I have, I have some answers. I have some help for you. I, the text is saying, heal all pressure points. I open doors to every kind of prison. This text says that we're about to look at, I set you free. We stand for the hearing of God's word. All right, so we start at verse 19, Galatians 3, here we Here we go. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels. 
by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So we just have to stop right here because I know you're thinking, because I was thinking, what in the world does this mean? Intermediaries, angels, what's going on? We need to remember Paul's point up to this point in Galatians 1 through 2 comes in two parts. First, you can't escape justification, remember? You can't escape it. Justification is in your bones. It's in your blood. You need to have it. Part two to this answer is there are only two choices of finding justification in this life. Either justification by works or justification by faith. That's all there is. Now in chapter 3, which is where we are right now, right? Paul's building his case for a justification by faith. He does so in verses 15 through 18, which is immediately before our text. And there he says, listen, folks, the storyline of the Bible has always been justification by faith. He says, listen, the storyline of the Bible has never been justification by works. He says to us in the verses just prior to this, he says, look at Abraham. I mean, look at Abraham. The justification, the promise, the justification by faith came to him by a promise. There were no intermediaries. It was just God, Abraham, I justify you by faith. Here's the promise for the rest of the world. This is the storyline of the Bible. And then this text right before this text said, Look at the law. It was getting 430 years after Abraham. So justification by faith has always been the priority. It's always been first. It's always been the storyline of the Bible. Justification by works has never been the storyline of the Bible. So what does all this mean? This means what we're about to look at is that the law is not the storyline. The law serves the storyline. So what's the storyline of the Bible? Justification by faith. You ready? Now the question is, how does the law serve justification by faith? Here we go. Why then the law? Ready? I'm going to repeat it again. It was added because of transgressions. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise, justification by faith, had been made. It, the law, was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one. It implies God to angels to Moses to Israel. But God is one. It was God to Abraham, right? Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed by the law. But the scripture, now in this context, you need to know the scripture as law. Imprisoned everything under sin. So the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to all those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Why? That's what you want to ask. Why were we held captive under the law? Imprisoned. Well, why were we imprisoned under the law? until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian. Why, we need to ask, until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith, for as many of you were baptized into Christ Jesus, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, there's neither black nor white, there's neither red or blue, there's neither race or culture. The most fundamental identity of you, the most fundamental identity of any human being is who they are in Christ. For you're all one. Isn't that interesting? You're all one in Christ. Please be seated. Oh, Lord, would you fill us with your spirit? Thank you that you forgive us for our sins. 
Thank you that you're our defense and our righteousness. May you cause us bones to rattle. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here we go. Why the psychological pressure? Why a psychological prison? Why, are there, why is there a God crisis that happens in our lives, in our friends' lives, in our families, in our children, in our communities? Why a personal crisis in your experience of Christianity? Why a crisis in the Christian life? I mean, why a church crisis today? Galatians answers. Are you ready? I'm just going to give you the answer. Galatians answers this way. The reason for all these things is because the law lives. The law lives. Now, Galatians is not a fool. Galatians also knows that, that this understanding, this reality that the law lives, is not and will never be popular. In other words, the law lives will never trend on Twitter. It will never make a headline on the headline news. It will never be a bestseller. It will never be on Joe Rogan's podcast. It will never be a topic of discussion at the United Nations. The law lives. Nobody talks about that. Nobody, nobody trends that. Galatians understands that. It's not shocked about it. What Galatians, what Paul's shocked about is how the church seems to to know how little it needs to trend in our life. Paul is saying how little it's considered for your psychological pressures and your psychological prisons. How little the law is actually considered as to be the fundamental realities of a God crisis. How the law, the law living is so little considered in a personal crisis in our experience of the Christian life, our experience of Christianity, and how little the law is considered for the church crisis today. The law lives, says Paul. And it explains a lot. So why the psychological pressure? Why a psychological prison? Well, look at verse 19. Why then the law? You turn your electronic devices. If you need a printed uh, page, we have the the old thing called a book underneath the, your seat. So Galatians 3.19, why the psychological pressure? Why a psychological prison? Listen, listen to how the Bible is so ancient and so up to speed with you. Listen to how the Bible is so modern, how it so addresses you and me and every generation and every culture and every age group. Why then the law? It was added because of transgression, sin. You see what's happening here? Paul's giving us the mission of the law right here. What's the mission of the law, Paul? Well, it was added because of transgressions of sin. So what's the mission of the law, Paul? Well, it was added to justify you, says Paul, right? No, no. Okay, it was added to improve you, says Paul. It was added to activate God in your life or activate the Holy Spirit in your life, says Paul. No, no, no. It was activated. It was given added to us to give us good advice on financial matters and marriage matters and sexual matters. and What's the mission of the law, Paul? Well, it was added, guys. It was added to help you be more like Moses, says Paul. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, sin. 
But Paul is saying that the law's mission has something to do with sin. So what does it have to do with sin? So just get that real quick. Right now, that eliminates almost 99.9% of the uses of the law that's done today. So I know there are the yeah buts, and I know that many of us are going to ask this at the end of the sermon. Yeah, but, Jeff, right? I know it. I, I know it's coming. But here's what I want to say right off the bat. We get explicit, clear, purposeful, intentional teaching on the mission of the law right here. The questions that most people want to ask me after I say something like this, the 99.9% the, the of their teaching does not have clear, explicit teaching. This is clear, explicit teaching on the mission of the law. It has something to do with sin, so let's keep reading. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Well, we already know because of verses 18, 15 through 18, that it, the law is not contrary to the purposes of God. The law serves the purposes of God. It serves the storyline of the Bible. So we've already answered that, so let's keep going. For if a law had been given that could get life, then righteousness would indeed by the law. But the scripture, again, scripture is law, imprisoned everything under sin. Okay, so now we're moving into the mission of the law. So the mission of the law is to imprison everything under sin. So is the mission of the law to imprison you under sin? Is the mission of the law to imprison relationships under sin? Is the mission of the law to imprison educational systems under the sin? Is the mission of the law to imprison, does it say everything under sin? So that the promise by faith in Jesus might be given to those who believe. So you can imagine, Paul, look what he says in verse 3. Now, you can imagine, he say, okay, I know I need to explain this, right? So let me explain this some more. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law. What? Well, why were we held captive under the law, Paul? Imprisoned. Paul, why? Until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law, verse 24, was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Do you see it? The law's mission is to serve justification by faith. The law's mission is to serve Jesus. How? By squeezing all the self-righteous air out of our lungs. By squeezing and imprisoning and capturing and captivated all our self-effort and all our self-wisdom and all our self-righteousness and all our self-reliance and all our self-trust and all our self-salvation and all our self-wisdom. And the law comes in and says, see, you, you can't. And that's a psychological pressure. The law actually holds us in such a way that it makes our life unable, impossible. By imprisoning us in our sin. So where is your psychological pressure point this morning? I mean, this is something that is so applicable. Where is your psychological pressure point? Where are you stressed? Where are you angry? Where are we anxious? Uh, where are we depressed? 
You know what Paul is saying? Wherever that pressure point is right now, that's the law imprisoning you so you have no self-effort, no self-trust. You actually start seeing who we are and what we're really like, and we start feeling our need and feeling our weakness. And at that point, it's leading you to Jesus. It's boxing us in and shrinking our world to such an extent that we actually despair of ourselves and say, I need Jesus. What a beautiful work the law lives. So where are your psychological prisons? Where can't you fix you? Where do you feel your inability? Where do you feel the impossibilities? Where do you feel out of control? Where do you feel guilty and accused and judged and shameful? That's where the law is holding you because that's its purpose. It's God's hammer. It's his prison. It's his power to lead you to Jesus. It's a beautiful work. It's a spectacular work. It's the most unrecognized, unremembered, unknown work in the world today. And yet, it always wins. I mean, we can, you know, it's like gravity. It's like, you know, I can, I can choose to say gravity doesn't exist, but as soon as I jump off this building, the law lives, the law always wins. We can... We can try to live in self-reliance. We can try to live in self-confidence. We can try to live that we can make ourselves right before God and before others and before the law of thinness and the law of capability and the law of success. We can try, but the law always wins. Have you ever noticed? I've noticed this. It's like I noticed this when I was growing up. Uh, I'd feel I'd, I'd accomplish a performance in athletics or accomplish a, a performance in ministry. And it satisfied me until the next one. Because the law will always make us get small in ourselves. And we need more. We need more. We need more because it cannot satisfy us. Okay, so why a God crisis? Why a personal crisis in your experience of Christianity? Why a personal crisis in the Christian life? Why the church crisis today? Look at verse 21. Here's the answer. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. So this explains a God crisis. This explains the rise and fall of Mars Hill. This explains a resulting personal crisis of that rise and fall of Mars Hill that we might be experiencing or any other personal experience that we have right now in the Christian life that's a crisis-oriented thing, like what is going on in the Christian life? This explains the church crisis today, the divisions over the mission and message of the church today. And you're asking, why? How does it explain it? Because here's what happens. We think and we feel and we relate and we trust and we love and we do life as if righteousness could be attained by some work of the law as if the law had been given, as if there's a law out there that had been given that can give us life. 
And so when that happens, God becomes, when we think there's a law out there, actually, that can be given, that can give us life, that there's a law out there that can actually justify us, that when that happens, God becomes cold and God becomes hard and God becomes distant. And all of a sudden, we have a God crisis. When we think that we, there's a law out there that's given that can give us righteousness in life, then ministry becomes our righteousness. And so the Christian life becomes justification by works of the law, right? And so the church's mission and message becomes another new law of whatever it is out there today. Deep in our bones, deep in our thoughts and our feelings and our experience of life, we think there's a law out there that's been given that can give us life. And so we chase it. We go after it personally in the Christian life in the church, but the law lives. The law always wins, and it'll never work. It'll shrink your world. It'll imprison us to see that it doesn't work for our sake so that it leads us to Jesus. So it leads us to the only righteousness there is on the planet to the only safe place, the only way out. Last night I was feeling sorry for myself. I've had one of those weekends. I had a long weekend. I'm not going to bore you with all the details. Um, it was just long, and it was outside of my control kind of stuff. And so it put lots of pressure on sermon prep. Uh, couldn't get to it on Friday. I had a little spot on Saturday in the morning that I could get to it, and it wasn't enough. It didn't get done. So now I'm frustrated. And then I had other things I had to do. And on top of that, there's a Halloween party last night with my family. My family was going. Um, but I couldn't go because I had to do sermon prep, right? And uh, so I was mad. I was mad at God. And I told him, I'm mad, God. I'm absolutely mad. I'm mad at you. How could you do this to me? It was one of those kind of things, this self-pity thing that was going on. You know, I said things like, how could you let me struggle like this? Why would you let me struggle like this? I'm doing your work. I mean, I started feeling the pressure. I felt so much pressure yesterday. I felt so much pressure to like, to preach, to be used by God. I felt so much pressure to be a good husband and a, and a good father. And I was failing in all of it. None of it was getting done. Just pressure and this world just started shrinking and I was getting madder and angrier and it was like, oh yeah, y'all have a good time. Y'all go, y'all go have fun. I'm going up to my study. Why God, I thought, how could you do this to me, God? I felt deep in my bones. And I think it was right in the middle of that I, I hear this, Ping. And I went, it was my phone. And someone texted me. It was my brother. My brother never texts me because he's doing the same Saturday night fever thing I'm doing right now. <laughs> he's getting ready to preach for Sunday morning. And he says this, bro, lifting you up in prayer for tomorrow. Preaching is not your righteousness. Preaching is not my righteousness. 
May God highly exalt himself in your power and in your strength, Jeff. May he highly exalt himself in all your great preaching and being used by God, Jeff. Oh, no, that's not what he said. He said, may God highly exalt himself, Jeff, in your Preaching is not my righteousness. Just like you could fill in the blank for whatever it is for you. Football is not your righteousness. Good grades is not your righteousness. That person's attention is not your righteousness. Being healed is not your righteousness. Success at work is not your righteousness. Thinness is not your righteousness. Capability is not your righteousness. Social justice is not your righteousness. The right ideology is not your righteousness. A new mission and message for the church is not our righteousness. That would be life by justification by works. Jesus is my righteousness. Justification by faith. And all of a sudden, the pressure. It was like Jesus just walked into that study and he said, Jeff, come on out of your self-imposed prison. You're free. I'm free. You're free. Because Jesus is your righteousness, not anything else. Amen.